We have been uh, working through a series called Now You're Talking, how to have spiritual conversations in a world where we don't often, um, we're afraid of them, we avoid them, we feel embarrassed by them, we, we don't often share about our faith, about how we believe, about who God is, as much as, as definitely our biblical tradition and our church tradition invites us into. And so we started the series looking at Pentecost of, of this community of people gathered together in which Jesus and, and, and God uh, was in, moving in the midst of and suddenly empowered them that they would speak in the language of other people, that they might be heard, that they might be understood, that people might hear good news through them. And so last week we, we looked at a story about Jesus crossing boundaries of, of, you know, we are sometimes afraid, sometimes embarrassed, and, and Jesus just kind of unabashedly going and sharing about God, uh, even when it might feel a little bit awkward, might feel a little bit weird. And so today we are, are moving into a, a story about Paul and about how Paul, kind of a technique and a strategy of, of looking at everyday things, looking at things around us and using that as a launching point uh, for talking about who God is. And so before we begin, I want to kind of set the, the stage of our challenges of talking about our faith, about talking about God. And, and when I was thinking about this text, I was thinking about a movie that came out a couple years ago. I know, I know, I love movies. Uh, there's the movie The Farewell, starring Aquafina. It's a story about this Chinese-American family uh, who is faced with unexpected news. Uh, Aquafina's character, her grandma, has gotten a cancer diagnosis, a stage four cancer diagnosis, not many months to live, and she gets this diagnosis, but um, she doesn't actually hear it. The grandma doesn't get the diagnosis. The family gets the diagnosis. And in uh, that Chinese culture, the family decides to bear the burden of this news and not tell the grandma. So the grandma is going to live as if life is just normal while the family is dealing with the burden and the, and the, and the sadness of, of what's about to come. And so the main character, Aquafina, she finds this news out and they don't trust her. They're like, you're going to talk. You're gonna spill the beans, you're gonna let her know, and so they don't wanna invite her to go see the grandmother because they don't trust her. And so the family has to come up with this ruse of how do we get together so we can say some things but not actually describe what's really going on. And so they, they plan this fake wedding so that the family can all come together and Aquafina kind of surprises them all and shows up uh, to this family gathering and everybody is a little stressed that she's gonna talk. And so there's so much that's unsaid and the whole tension of the movie is, can you hold on to this secret or do you share about it and what's the right thing to do? And there's a way in which we all kind of walk through our lives with like, I'm not sure if I should talk about this, I'm not sure if I should share about it, it feels like it's not the right time, it's not the right place. And so like we just never end up sharing our faith because it always feels like, I'm not supposed to talk about this. How do I, how do I maybe say some things but avoid the topic because it's not the right place? Uh, because we've all created kind of boxes and boundaries. This is my church world, so I can talk stuff in my church world, but this is my workspace. This is my family life. This is my uh, rec team or whatever kind of situation you're in. And we feel like, all right, here's the boundaries, and I only talk about that stuff. I can't talk about anything else. And so what ends up happening is like, our faith space becomes this like one hour a week, um, or for some people one hour every couple weeks or every month or uh, twice a year, uh, that that's the space where it's okay to talk about that thing, but we, there's this tension, I can't talk about this anywhere else. 
And so um, we are not alone in facing some tensions of like, is this the right time or place to talk about this? Uh, the early church is kind of inheriting the, the Jewish situation of that era. Uh, when the Jews were sent into exile, they were scattered throughout the empire, and they had to figure out, how do I maintain my faith? How do I live my life in a new context with other people, with people that don't understand my tradition? Uh, how do I talk about my faith? And there became this challenge because if I was living in Babylon, if I was living in, uh, in Greece or wherever I might have been, in Egypt, do I live like that culture? Do I take on their customs? Do I take on their practices? Or do I maintain my own practices? And what happened is, is there became kind of two differing trajectories. You had some people who, who thought, I can be a good Jew and completely live like the Greeks or the, the Egyptians and take on their customs. And there was another group who was like, you are leaving our faith behind. How dare you? You're leaving this life of holiness, of the separateness, the set-apartness. And so there's this ongoing debate of like, can the ways of the world be included in the conversation of faith? Be, is, is the holy things always the separate things or, or can it be in the midst of the culture around me? Like, do I have to seclude myself from the world to have God conversations, to live faithfully? Or can I live in the midst of that culture? And there was a lot of arguments about that. Uh, one of my favorite examples you might hear me mention, it's a little bit of a weird example, but that's why it sticks out and why you probably will remember it. Um, but in the first Maccabees text, which is in the Apocrypha, if you've got a Bible with an Apocrypha, it's kind of in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's from around 160 or so BC. Um, it talks about some Jews who wanted to be so much like Greeks that they had some procedures done uh, to reverse the circumcision marks of their covenant. And if you're willing to go get some procedures done, you really want to be like the culture around you. Uh, and while some really wanted that, some people thought this was an absolute abhorrent thing that you would reject the marks of the covenant. And so in the midst of that, you have the Pharisaic way of life, uh, you need to fast a certain amount of times and certain days of the week. You need to kind of live distinctly from the Roman way. And we see some of the ways in the Gospels of Jesus kind of pushing up against this. Like, hey, you don't follow Sabbath quite like we do. You don't eat cleanly quite like we do. You don't pray quite like we do. And there's this tension of, of blurring these boundaries. And I think that this text that we're going to read from today has this really powerful way of Paul speaking in the midst of culture uh, in ways that I think are actually kind of push us beyond what we usually would be comfortable with. And so in Acts 17, if you've got a Bible, you can flip to Acts 17. I'll give you what was going on before where we were gonna pick up in verse 16. Um, Paul has been in Thessalonica and he's been in other regions and he keeps going into a town He'll go into the synagogue, he'll, he'll talk in the synagogue. Some people will like him, some people won't. He gets kicked out. He goes to the marketplace. Some people like him, some people don't. He gets kicked out. And so when we pick up the story, he's actually feeling perhaps a little bit alone because the verse before where we start says that Silas and Timothy aren't with him yet and he's waiting for them to join him. And so I, I kind of just like that extra verse to say, you might feel like you're alone, you might feel like you're missing some people, and you might name who those people are. And you might think that's an excuse not to have any conversations because, you know, my good buddies aren't here. Uh, but Paul is just filled with going and talking about who God is, uh, even when his friends aren't with him. 
And so when I pick up here in verse 16, it says that while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed to see that the city was full of idols. It's kind of hard to picture of like, I don't even know what that would have been like to walk into Athens for the first time. I haven't had the opportunity to go to Greece, and, but like to walk into this kind of famed city uh, with tons of wealth, tons of culture, of history, uh, and there's all of these statues and, and paintings and artwork and, and this, the beauty of the city, but also that the city is pointing towards other gods, towards other things, and it's kind of distressing, Paul, that this, this renowned place, this place that's got tons of people, uh, isn't living fully into the life that Paul knows that we are invited into. And so he's distressed, and so he goes where he feels comfortable first. He goes to the synagogue, and he goes to this assembly of, of those who were Jewish who lived in that area, and it says that he argued with the Jews and the devout persons. You know, that can have different connotations. We don't know exactly the manner and the ways of the arguments. Uh, I would surely be able to assume that the arguments were not over the painting decoration styles of the synagogue. He is showing up and talking about Jesus in the context of the the history of God's faithfulness in Israel, and there's arguments. How do I understand who Jesus is in the context of our story? And he's, he's arguing about essential, important things. And he's arguing there, and I love that it just goes on. He's like, it's not the only place. He's having conversations. He's having dialogue and discussion. Passionate, I'm sure. It says that he was having those arguments in the synagogue, but also in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Like, Paul didn't need a, a schedule like, I, I only can figure out how to, like, this is the person I need to talk to. I got to find this calendar appointment. He just can't help himself every day. I'm in the marketplace. I can't help but talk about what's going on in my life and in this world. Uh, and there's kind of that kind of scattering of this good news of, like, I don't know who needs to hear this. I don't know who's going to respond positively, but I'm just, I'm just going to share about it. And so he's sharing about it in the marketplace, and he's getting some responses, and people are curious are listening in, and it says that some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers debated with him. See, that kind of debate, argument, conversation keeps coming around for him. You know, the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were used to debating, used to debating each other, uh, and suddenly here's a new person, and so that's going to be an invitation for some new conversation. Uh, but the Epicureans and Stoics argued about, is, is God close by? Is God moving? Is God making history move towards any one place? Or is this all material? Is there no real divine presence here? Is it just live, live, enjoy things, have pleasure? Uh, and they're arguing about how God operates in the world and from their vantage point. And they hear Paul and, and they start arguing. And then I love this question. They ask, what does this babbler want to say? It's like if you've ever been worried about how people are going to receive you. It's like, you know, you're probably not going to have a canonized biblical text of people calling you a babbler. Uh, but Paul here, what is this babbler talking about? It's like, what on earth is he talking about? And it's like, he's not close to winning them over, right? Those people who are saying that. This babbler, what's going on here? Others, though, said perhaps he might be a proclaimer of foreign divinities. So some people are like, you're just out there. You're, you're babbling, and others are like, 
Maybe you have some strange foreign God that we might hear about. Maybe there's some strange foreign God that's out there on the horizon, on the distance that we haven't known yet, and maybe you have something to share. And so uh, they go on to take him to a place where they have trials. They take him up to this like, place where there's like this mountaintop near the city where you could overlook everything. And they would have, like, even as like, serious as like murder trials up here, but also just religious debates. So it's this like, formal place, this like, impressive place. And they bring him to have a conversation. And they say, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? That kind of sounds fairly open, uh, but they go on. It sounds rather strange to us, so we would like to know what it means. That strange word is kind of the same kind of root as like foreigner, as stranger. Um, this teaching that you have is foreign to us, is strange, it's new. And in this culture, new was not a good thing. Like what was good and trustworthy and believable was old faith, old traditions. And so like when the Jews wanted to sound impressive to their Greek counterparts, usually they tell the story about Moses. They go, we had an ancient philosopher king kind of figure. Uh, this leader, like your leaders, he, he, he took us out of bondage. He, he had powers and miracles and he taught us about who God was. And they talk about this old tradition, not this thing that just happened. And if you're Paul, you're like, hey, a few years ago, let me tell you about what happened in, in Judea. Like, one, they don't really care about what was happening around Jerusalem or Galilee. And two, this sounds very strange. And we see it a little bit. Um, I think the way that people tend to uh, respect religious belief in our time is we have a different sense for old religions compared to things that just pop up. Uh, if you think about Scientology or some other groups, you're like, this is a lot more concerning, a little bit more, like you're, you're your guard level goes up. And so they're like, there's something strange here, something new, but we wanna hear you out. You're, you might be babbling, you might actually have some foreign deity to talk to us about. And so Paul has the attention of the Athenians, of the Epicureans, of the Stoics, and he, he goes to talk to them. And if you could just imagine yourself in that situation of like, if that was what God put on your trajectory, that what you had to do was to show up at this like renowned religious site, if you were supposed to show up in this renowned city and talk to all these people that were either educated or not, the common people, the trained people, um, all these different philosophies, what would you say to them? And Paul's standing up there and he can look out over the city and he has some memory about the, his own experiences of the city. And so he tells them, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. He doesn't come out just like berating them. Like, you guys are just terrible people. Um, he says, I see that, you know, you obviously care about religion. Like, I see that in you, in your city. And he tells them, you know, I walked around. And I walked around your city and I found among that, your city, an altar. And I found this altar with an inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made this world and everything in it, he who is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands. And he goes on. So he's like, I walked around your city. It's clear to me you're interested in God. 
You, you are religious people. And I found this statue, and it was really interesting. You had this inscription to this unknown God. Let me talk to you about that unknown God. Uh, it's interesting that he validates that there's something about what's going on in their city. There's something about where their worship goes that I can use as a launching place to talk about who God is. Uh, he doesn't just say, let me just tell you, and I'll just quote scripture to start. Uh, but he finds something in their common experience to be the launching point to talk about the God that he knows through scripture and experience. And so he tells them, who is this God? He's not a God made, he's not served by humans. So he's coming out and saying like, you know, I don't really think God is this statue. I don't think God just resides in this temple. So he does distance himself from this Greek practice, but he's not laying into them about this. Like, I don't think we realize how, how much Paul could have just like critiqued them here. Because like the Ten Commandments say, don't make any graven images of God. So he could like point out the statue and be like, you guys are awful sinners, right? Like you are just, this is an abomination. This is terrible. This is evil. This is sinful. But, he's, but instead he comes at it from the, the vantage of, I see your religious desires, your goals, your dreams. This statue here, this points to something beyond it. And it is beyond it because it's not, God's not actually the statue. I don't want you to mishear me and show up to that statue and start worshiping it. But that statue points us towards a reality, towards something that's greater than even you expect. Because God's not made or served by human hands. And he goes on and he talks about who that God is. From one ancestor, he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth. And then he allotted times for their existence and boundaries of their places where they'd live. I'll pause there. He doesn't proclaim a God of Judea, as in like, let me really emphasize that our people have God and you don't. Let me tell you about the God who made all people. That all nations, all boundaries are shaped by this God. Uh, and so he doesn't come from this holy like separateness of like, aren't we privileged, aren't we awesome, and you just don't have anything. Uh, and you need to find this God and you've been away from God. But like you yourselves, your own nation, you are formed by the same God as us. And he says in that, that he had made all these boundaries so that all of these people, all of these nations might search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, though he indeed is not far from each of us. There's a lot of like openness here. Um, that this, the Athenians, you might have just happened upon God in the midst of, uh, of your search. Uh, he doesn't reject that there's no way they know anything about God at all, that they've been just completely devoid of any sort of truth, that, that maybe in the midst of your stumbling, maybe in the midst of your searching, you might actually have stumbled onto something. And there's a generosity there that doesn't come from like, I absolutely know everything and you know absolutely nothing. Uh, and in some ways, I've heard people talk about, um, how do we talk about God in the midst of other cultures, other faiths, of what is it to see like our faith tradition as a, as a map, where we have a faithful and true map in which God is at work and is inviting us into life. And maybe some people didn't have the map and the, the way that we've been blessed with, 
but some people have happened upon God. Why? Because God is always close by. God is always near and wants to be known. Uh, We always want to specialize ourselves where we feel like uh, we are just only unique and, and of course we're the special ones, but maybe God has been at work in the lives of the Athenians too. Maybe God has somehow made himself known. And so Paul goes on to that and says, for even as some of your own poets have said, for we too are his offspring. And like that's really powerful of, he's gonna quote their own culture, their own poets, uh, that it's not just we have all of the truth, but you've, you've found some, and let me point you to the spots where God is at work in the midst of your own teaching. I know that there's so many of, Uh, in our Christian tradition who have wanted to flee from culture, flee from the world, because it's just sinful, it's just evil, it's just going to tempt you and make you uh, fall away from God. But like, how does Paul know what these poets are saying? How does Paul uh, know what these idols have uh, with, like what's their like inscription? Paul is engaged with his community around him and it allows him to have conversations. Like, Paul would not be a very fun conversation partner in the marketplace if he didn't know anything about you or your tradition or didn't care anything about it. But Paul is there uh, learning and speaking into uh, the community that's there. And I think that's something that's valuable for us because it means that you can enjoy uh, what's the greatest book that just came out, what's the movie, what's, what's the art piece, what's, what's going on in the world around us. We don't have to just accept it in its entirety, an entirety of its message, but we can see something from that and say, hey, I see where God's at in the midst of this. Maybe we can have a conversation that leads us into something more. And it's not just about what the poet said, but, but there's a truth in the midst of the poet. And so Paul goes on and he talks about the fact that yes, we are God's offspring. Yes, um, God is not in gold or silver or stone, uh, formed by art, uh, but God uh, is, in the, is beyond all of those things. But he says, while God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands every people from everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day in which the world uh, will have, will the world will be judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given us assurance by the raising of him from the dead. All right, so it feels like there's the like, altar call at the end of this speech from Paul. Uh, he's talking about, hey, I've seen God at work in the midst of your culture. Let me share about, you, about who that God is and that God's bigger than you even expect or imagine. Um, and there's this spot at the end that it says, okay, God is forgiving the fact that we have been ignorant, the fact that we don't know things, and now God is inviting us to turn from things, to turn towards where God is inviting us. And I think this probably sounds more judgmental if we don't read this in the context of all of Paul's ministry? Because Paul is showing up at the synagogues and saying, repent. God, he's also showing up in Athens and saying, repent. Like, it's not simply that the Athenians are the only ones who need to turn uh, to follow God faithfully. Uh, but if we think about kind of going without the map and, and searching in darkness and maybe stumbling on something, Paul is saying the time of ignorance, the time of darkness is gone. Like God has been revealed in Jesus. We can understand who God is more clearly, uh, more precisely. And now that we can see, it's the time to turn. Like you've got the map, 
you've got the picture, the architecture of the world, of the universe. Live like Jesus. Turn, repent. And again, sometimes we hear this repent language and we only hear it like the street, the person yelling. You know, the person yelling, you're going to hell unless you repent. Like the, the kind of Jonah-type figure. Uh, but Paul is not angry with them. He's not shouting at them. Paul just loves God, loves people, wants to share about what is possible with God, and he can't help himself. He's got to talk about it. Even when it's going to harm him, even when people are going to hate him, even when they're going to run him off, he's still going to offer the invitation to see who God is. And so we have the opportunity to be like Paul, to look around, to see, find the marketplace, find where people are, you know, we don't have the excuse just because we don't have our friends around or whatever. Like, go find people. Go show up. Look around. I think about, like, in our neighborhood of, like, go look around the murals. Like, what are the artists who, who've tried to say something for our city? Like, where's their hope or inspiration in the midst of that? And how can that lead you into a psalm and lead you into a gospel passage, a story? Like, hey, this is how God works in the world. Like, look around you. If you've got friends or family who have hobbies, look for the, the parables, the metaphors that come out of that interest, that passion. Uh, we don't have to just come at people with like, let me just read you a uh, hundred different Bible verses and tell you exactly why you need to believe this thing. Just look out into the world, keep your eyes open and, and use inspiration to talk about who God is, uh, to lift up conversations from everyday things from just stone or rock or marble or, or, or walls, like lift those conversations up to God. And so Paul can't help himself. He just keeps doing that and he keeps having the same kind of response and you might get the same kind of response as well. Paul, uh, it says when he finished speaking, he was talking about the resurrection and he was talking about the resurrection of the dead and some scoffed and we can read past that really fast, but just to remind yourself, you might talk about life and hope and resurrection, and some people will scoff. And sometimes just that fact will make you fear and make you not go through with talking about something that matters. But like if Paul was too concerned with people scoffing at him, like his ministry does not take the place that, that it does. Um, but people are gonna scoff, people are going to reject, people are gonna think you're babbling. Um, but others said, we will hear you again about this. That again doesn't sound like an amazing reaction. Some people are like, I'll listen to more. And maybe that's all that's needed in a moment. Like you, you feel like I wanna share about what God's been doing in my life, and I share my story, and I share all of these things that I think are powerful and life-giving, and some people are like, yeah, I'll show up again. I'll have another conversation. And like that, that's actually just powerful and enough. Like that the, the soil is still open for, for maybe being cultivated into something more. Uh, that maybe another conversation, maybe another conversation. And, and maybe God's gonna do something in the midst of that. Uh, and so even that response is not like, oh, I, my life has changed, I've repented of everything. But just showing up for another conversation is a beautiful next step. And so some scoffed. Others said, let's hear you again about this. And at that point, Paul left. Paul leaves. 
And some of them joined him. But some of them joined him and became believers, including Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. Like, there's only a couple people named here. Like, this is not like when we have the Pentecost story and it's like, oh, and thousands and thousands of people believed and added to their number. We got a couple people. You know, there's a few. And like, is that worth it to you? You know, if like, is success to you, like, maybe a few people will be interested in hearing more. Maybe a couple people might say yes. And I feel like we often go into conversations being like, I want the 100% success rate. And unless it's 100% success, it's too dangerous. Like, that would never be uh, the criteria. Like, you would never hit that situation. But we're like the sower and the seeds in, in the gospel parable. You scatter seeds, some soil receives, some doesn't. And so Paul has this, like, powerful moment this like beautiful place, he's up on a mountaintop, he's talking to all these like people of all these different traditions, and the ultimate resolution is some people are interested, some will listen again, and some people will say yes, and they'll follow, and they'll believe. And so we all have to uh, maybe take on a little bit of that mindset for ourselves. Go out into the world, look around, see where God might be might be pointed to, and then have the courage to just talk, just have a conversation. And if you're worried about like being eloquent enough, like they thought Paul was babbling. <laughs> so like if they thought Paul was babbling, they'll probably think you're babbling. It's okay. But maybe somebody will show up for another conversation. Maybe somebody will believe and have life, and that that will be worth it. It's worth the pain, the arguments, the struggles, the challenges, people belittling you. And all of that, just because Paul was willing to have a conversation. And so as you go throughout your week, wherever your marketplace is, your marketplace might be an actual physical marketplace, restaurant, cafe. Maybe your marketplace right now is a digital marketplace and you've got uh, Facebook or Instagram friends or whoever else that you converse with. But wherever the marketplace is, have some like divine detective eyes to look for where God is at work and point to it and elevate the conversation because somebody might have life. And that's the invitation for us. So do you join me in prayer? Lord God, you uh, have blessed us more than we remember. Lord, I ask that you might turn our gratitude into praise, into celebration. Lord, I ask that you'd open our eyes to your blessings in our life, but also the blessings in the lives around us. Lord, help us to see where you've been at work outside of the boundaries, outside of what we feel like is the holy or the sacred thing, and that we might find you and talk about you and share and, and maybe even have community and church and worship in the midst of that. Lord, I ask that you would forgive us where our, our mouths have led us astray and where we've babbled uh, in, incorrectly, wrongfully about who you are. Lord, help us to, to turn to you and to the image that we see in Jesus and help us to follow after you and to show up. Lord, it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.